Lord, we pray this morning that as we dive into the message, they do a work in each of our hearts. Thank you for the music this morning. Thank you for being our God. Thank you for being in control of everything. We trust you and we praise you and we worship you this morning as we should each and every day. Meet with us this morning. Do a work that only you can do. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You may be seated. Anyone need a copy of the outline today? If you need a copy of the outline, then everyone good? Cruz, did you get a haircut the other day? Nice. You're looking sharp back there. Looking sharp. And uh, All right. I think everyone's good. We're going to take our Bibles today to Isaiah chapter number 9. We started here last week. We're going to continue on in this passage here. Last week, we looked at the fact the light was going to come, and the light has come. It's Jesus Christ. Today, we're going to look at hope. Hope has a name. Man, we hear in our world today, I heard just a few weeks ago, you had Mayor de Blasio there in New York. I guess the tree, the big, tall Christmas tree they normally get there every year, I guess it didn't quite look like it normally does this year. I think the tree got COVID or something happened on the way, and so it just quite, it wasn't quite as full. It just didn't turn out quite like what they thought. And so you say, can trees get COVID? I don't know. Maybe they can. So make sure you wear your mask next to any tree you go by. But anyways, with saying all of that, he said, a lot of people have hope in this tree, and this year there's not much hope. And if you get your hope in a tree, wow, okay, that's about all I can say about that. My hope is not in the tree. I hear a lot the past couple weeks as well, hey, hey, America, there's hope. There's a vaccine coming soon. I don't know where you stand on the vaccine, but I'm not here to tell you to take it or not to take it. Say, Pastor, if when they give you a card so you can go places, you don't have to worry about that when you come to church. You do what God leads you to do. And that you say, should I take it or should I not? That's a personal decision between you and God. Research things out. Do what God leads you to do when it comes down to it. You know, a couple thoughts on it. I have people send me stuff all the time. Some of you people are really into conspiracy things. You know, some of you, just calm down a little bit, okay? It's going to be okay. Study the Bible out. Some people say, the mark of the beast and this vaccine go together. Okay. The mark of the beast is going to happen and take place one after the rapture's taken place. As a Christian, we won't be here when that happens. Study the Bible and look at how that's I have I hear far too many Christians, and here's the other thing. Let's just say I'm wrong and the rapture happens later on, which according to the Bible, I think I'm right on that one, but people have lots of different opinions. But the other thing is we have the Holy Spirit of God inside of us. Someone who takes the mark of the beast cannot get saved, correct? So if you're saved, how can a saved person take the mark of the beast? It doesn't work that way. So just calm down about that. You know, is it going to alter you? You know, you might walk a little funny afterwards. You might look a little bit more funny than you do now. I don't know. Say, well, what do I do with it? You pray to God and you figure out for yourself what you should do. And um, when you think about all of that, something else with that, every year, so our hope's in a vaccine coming. That's what they say, right? Well, news came out just the other day that so far the vaccine, news is good. It's for three months you have immunity. That's what they know as of now. You have three, but do you know why they only know three months? Because it's only been in people for three months. One of the reasons why they take several years to get a vaccine out is because they want to see the long-term effects of it. That's just something to keep in your mind. But the other part of it is, we have, if your hope's in the vaccine, you've got to remember we have a flu vaccine every year. And 50 to 60% of people take the flu vaccine. And still, I'm lowballing. Thirty to 50,000 people die of flu even with a vaccine. So if your hope's in a tree, you don't got much hope. If your hope's in a vaccine you don't got much hope. But our hope is not found in a vaccine. It's not found in government. It's not found in any of those places. Our hope this morning is found in Jesus Christ. Amen. Hope has a name. His name's Jesus. And what this world needs today more than anything, they need Jesus. As we look at our text here, and when you think about in Old Testament times, a name stood for a person's reputation, their fame, their glory. The word name literally means a mark or a brand. Parents often gave their children names in Bible days to describe their hopes or future expectations regarding that child. If you were to go through and study a bunch of Old Testament names, I'm just going to give you a few to think about this morning. We think of the name David. It means beloved. Wasn't he beloved of God? Yeah, he was. You think about um, Abraham. 
Father of a multitude. I would say he's the father of a multitude, right? I think that was pretty true there. How about um, Isaac? His name means laughter. What did his mom do? They were too old to have kids. And God said, you're going to have a kid. Mom laughed about it. His name's laughter. See where the name comes from? Jacob was named a trickster. Didn't he trick his brother? Wow. You see how those names all play together? And then remember after he wrestles with the Lord, the Lord says, hey, you're no longer Jacob. You're now Israel. He went from a trickster to a prince of God. Isn't that what we all go from sin to being his children? What a blessing that is. We go through so many other names. You think about Moses, drawn out. He was drawn out of the river, right? So names play a special bearing. All of those people I mentioned, their names ring true. The name Jesus, Jehovah saves. That's who he is. Today we're going to zero in on the fourfold name given to Jesus. 700 years before he was born. I say that with parentheses because the word became flesh and dwelt among us. But before he was ever born, he always has been and he always will be. Before the world ever began, Jesus was there. When this world will be destroyed, he will forever be. He's always been. That's our God. I want to just talk about him a little bit this morning. Now, in the middle of the message this morning, you might feel like breaking out and worshiping God. I'm sorry, that might be a side effect of the message this morning. And I hope that that is a good side effect that happens. The book of Isaiah, Isaiah was a prophet of God. We mentioned last week he had prophecies from God to a people that were going through it. We read last week, the end of chapter number 8, verse 22, it says, And they shall look upon the earth, and behold, trouble and darkness, dimness of anguish, and they shall be driven to darkness. Sin has driven man to darkness. Man's deeds are dark. You look around us today. This world has a lot of darkness. This world needs light today. We read last week, verse number one, nevertheless, and I'm so thankful for the neverthelesses in the Bible, or the word but. The Bible talks about in Ephesians chapter number two, how we are dead in our trespasses and sins, and verse number four, but God, who's rich in mercy, wherewith he loved us, or Philippians four, where it says, but my God shall supply all your needs. That's a powerful word, just like the word nevertheless. I mentioned last week, in case if you weren't here, just because there are verses and chapters, those were added after the fact. Sometimes we think end of a chapter, new thought. No, it was all together. So verse number one here says, we're nevertheless, it's going back referring to verse 22 of chapter number eight. And so it says, nevertheless, the dimness shall not be as was in her vexation. When at the first he lightly afflicted the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, and afterwards did more grievously afflict her by the way of the sea beyond Jordan in Galilee of the nations. And Zebulun and Naphtali, I mentioned last week, were two of the northernmost tribes of Israel. So Syria, the Syrians were the ones who came in. Where were they going to go through first? Right through those two lands. They would get attacked the most, great darkness there. But the Bible says in verse number 2, the people that walked in darkness have seen a great light. They that dwell in the land of the shadow of death, upon them hath the light shined. And when we look at that, and we think about all that Zebulun and Naphtali went through, we see that the light was coming. And in fact, it sounds like it had already happened in this verse, but Jesus didn't come for another 700 years. But it's a prophecy that was true and going to be fulfilled. When we think about that, I mentioned last week how in Matthew chapter number 4, that Jesus' ministry began in Capernaum and in Galilee. In Galilee, that whole area was Naphtali and Zebulun, as we looked at here. It was a direct fulfillment of these verses here. The light had come. We think about it when Jesus, when he was born, there was a great light that shone in the sky. And the Bible said, in darkness, the light shined. And it led those wise men and I think what made them the most wise was that they went after Jesus and wise men seek him. When Jesus died on the cross, the earth turned dark. The light has come. We see that in these verses. You can look at verse number four here, it says, For thou hast broken the yoke of his burden, and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of the oppressor, as in the day of Midian. When the light of life comes... The heavy yoke will be shattered, the Bible says here. 
Isn't that what Jesus said? Matthew 11, verse number 30, for my yoke is easy, my burden it's light. May I just remind you this morning, the Christian life is hard, but doing things God's way is the easy way. Say, what do you mean? The Bible says the way of the transgressor is hard. Sin is hard. Sin oppresses. But Jesus, you know, people say, I, have, I wouldn't want Jesus. I would have no freedom. Oh, you don't realize how free we are. You don't realize how free we are. And that's why my yoke is easy. My burden, it's light. That's how Jesus is. We look at all of that. God wanted to bring blessings in place of the burdens that the people were facing. That gets us in context to verse number 6 of Isaiah 9. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. We see in this verse here how indescribably unique Jesus is and the core of Christianity. For unto us a child is born. This describes his birth as a baby, his humanity as a man. Unto us a son is given. Jesus is God's son, or God, given as a gift. His humility as deity all rolled in together. The child was birthed in Bethlehem, and the gift of the eternal Son is given to us. I appreciate how one commentator wrote, he said, The Son wasn't born, the Son eternally existed. The child was born, the Son was given. The Bible says, as we continue on the verse there, on top of that, the government shall be upon his shoulders. That baby bundled in straw holds the universe together. The one nestled on Mary's shoulder bears the burdens of all the world on his shoulders. He's the redeemer of all, the ruler of all, and that's what's so special about Jesus, more special than anyone who's ever been born. The Bible says his name shall be called. Now, I know I got a few, Caroline would probably be considered an English teacher to some degree. And uh, Carla, do you teach English at all? Yes. So the word name there is singular, but you have uh, more than one name. Isn't that interesting there? Oh, it's a misprint. No, 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 no. The Bible never misprints anything. The Bible's always right. It says, and his name shall be called. That phrase means he will justly bear his name. And all of these here make up his name. It's like, and just to put something else in the context, sometimes I'll hear people say, the fruits of the Spirit. It's not the fruits. It's the fruit of the Spirit. Because it's not like going into the produce aisle and you can get a banana and an orange. And, no, the fruit of the Spirit, all of them are part of it. His name shall be called. I mentioned English a minute ago, but we think of prepositions. Uh, prepositions were one of my favorites because they were pretty easy to... I love prepositional phrases and putting the, the, brackets, or the, the brackets around them. That was... It just... They were, they were easy for me. Others were not so easy. And I, even in Bible college, you had to do a, an entrance exam. You had to pass this English pretest. If you didn't, they, you had to take a class called Bonehead English. That, was, that wasn't really... The, you didn't get credit for it, but you had to take these things, and it was so bad. I'm taking this test, and with English, I'm okay. Some of you are like, no, Pastor, I hear you every week. You're not okay. Don't judge me, and I won't judge you, okay? But I'm on the test there, and then one section was adjectives and adverbs. I'm like, oh, man, which one, how many, what kind, or whose? Is that adjective or adverb? I couldn't remember. So I did what every great person would do, any, meaning, miny, moral. And I guessed the wrong one, and I did them backwards, and I had to take bonehead English. And so I got to work with more prepositions. I like prepositions. 
But when you look at this passage and you see his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Prepositions tell us where and when something is in relation to something else. I see a number of those, four of them to be exact, in this verse right here. You see, Jesus speaks to us as our counselor. He stands for us as the mighty God. He's near us as our heavenly Father. And then he satisfies within me and brings peace. That's what I want to talk about this morning. Number one, we see he speaks to us as a wonderful counselor. Literally, you see there, wonderful counselor. Think about the word wonderful. It means full of wonder, glorious, exceptional, astonishing, extraordinary. The Bible tells us in Psalm 77, 14, Thou art the God that dost wonders. Thou hast declared thy strength among the heathen, among the people, sorry. I don't know where I got the heathen from. There's another verse that says heathen. But a lot of people are heathen, though, too, and we won't go off on that this morning. I already told you before why we go back to having in-person church, because you were all heathen. That's why we did. That was the reason. You say, how do you know that we were all heathen? Because I was turning into a heathen, too. So I knew if the pastor was, everyone else was. That's why we went back to it and why we're continuing it. The adjective wonderful there is coupled with the word wonderful counselor which refers to an advisor or a consultant. And don't you think about life is filled with decisions, with details and disasters that come into play, and that's why we need a wonderful counselor. Psalm 16, 7 tells us, I will bless the Lord who hath given me counsel. My reins also instruct me in the night seasons. And as we look at this, as we think about this, What are some of the elements of a good counselor? All of us in life need good counselors in our life. You do. I hope that there's people that you can go to, and you should have people you go to. It's important. You know, I've talked about it in the last service. I try and encourage our teens, don't go to your teen friends for counseling. They're going through the same things you're going through. They don't know those things. As a teenager, you need, and I mentioned to them, you need to find an adult, a good godly Christian adult in your church, and look at their life. If there's things that you would like to be like them, you need to get counsel from them. I mentioned it, I, we have four kids. This is my first time. This is my first rodeo with child rearing. Am I doing a good job? I don't have a clue. Say, when are you going to know? <laughs> when they have kids. We're going to start seeing if I was a very good, if I was a very good parent. So when I need help, I find people whose kids, who have kids that have grown up, and that their kids love God, and I get some counsel from them. It's just wise. It's amazing. You see people write books. I write a book on child rearing. You got one that's in prison. You got one that's been divorced 10 times. You got all these different things, and then one child turned out, so I'm going to write a book. No, 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 no. And it's just amazing how all that goes in in pastoring. There are many pastors out there, many. There are certain pastors that I have as my counselor. One of them is in Oregon. He's a good friend of mine. And he's a counselor of mine. I see the life he lives. I want that in my life. So I have a good counselor. Counselors are important. But what makes someone a good counselor? When you're in need... They're available to you, right? That makes a good counselor. They give you undivided attention. How would it be you come to my office and you're coming to me for counsel? And um, Go ahead and talk to me. Some of you are like, Pastor, you did that last week when I came to see you. I did not. Every once in a while when someone comes for counsel, I'll say, I'm waiting for an important call. I got to keep my phone close by. But I'm not on my phone. But how would it be you come past? You're bearing your heart, bearing all your burdens. You're crying and in tears. And I miss what you said. Could you repeat that for me? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. No, you want you want a counselor who's focused on you. You got their attention. 
You want someone who you can counsel with that's going to keep what you say confidential? That's a big one, right? And be so careful. Church, let me just remind you of this. And I want to applaud a lot of you too as well. Wednesday night, I preached a message. I've never preached a message like it in 10 years of pastoring. And we've had, for some reason, I think maybe COVID fatigue, carnality, there could go lots. There's been some, just some bickering and arguing going on among God's people and five or six different instances of it. And so I shut it down on Wednesday night. And I'm proud of most of the stuff that was there has all been resolved since then. Great job. Good job on that. Keep it that way. But we're not, we cannot do the things of God if God's people have divisions among themselves. And when I hear people use the statement, I'm done with that person. You're a church family. It doesn't work that way. As Christ forgave you, so also do you. We got to work on that. And I'm so proud of a lot of those things disappear. There's still a little bit, and we're going to deal with that. And if you don't deal with it, I told you. You got a week to deal with it. If you don't deal with it, I'm going to help you deal with it. So say, is that good? Is that bad? God called me to be the under-shepherd here, and I'm just doing my job. This world needs to see Christ in this place, and divisions don't show Christ. But something else, when you think of a counselor, you want someone who's going to be confidential. You know, most of you sitting in this room, I have a lot of dirt on a lot of you. You've told me a lot of stuff about you. I could write a book about a lot of you. You wouldn't like that, would you? No, because I keep that stuff between you and me. Now, if there's child abuse or something else going on in that nature, I will report those things. That's, that's beside the point. But a lot of things you talk to me about in my office, I don't even tell my wife. And if I do tell her, I say, I'm going to talk to Caroline about this before I ever do it. But be careful. And maybe there's some people in church that, you know, you're having a tough time in life and you bear your heart to them. Hey, you keep that to yourself. Don't, oh, they, they get off the phone. All right, I just talked so-and-so and listen what. That's not right. Make, that should never happen. Never. I just want someone else to pray for them. No, you like to gossip. And there's a fine line between the two. And we'll save that for another. This is Christmas. We're talking about a wonderful counselor. But in all honesty, if you're going to be there for someone, be careful about what you say. You want a counselor who's going to tell you the truth even when you don't like it. If your counselor, if the counselors in your life are only the people who agree with you and do what you want them and do what you want them to do, that's not a good counselor. You want a counselor who will say, hey, this is your problem. This is what you need to do. So in all of that, you think about this. In short, we want someone who has empathy. We want someone who has, has expertise and someone with experience. And guess what? This morning, you have a wonderful counselor. His name is Jesus, and thank God for that. And it's so important, so special that we can talk to him. He gives us his word. That's why I encourage you, especially even right now in our world today, day by day things change around us. Do you realize that? Every day it's something else. And I think it's going to continue to be that way. But I want you to understand this. Don't rush to a decision on things. When you're hurting, when you're broken, when you're down, don't make a decision right then. Give God some time to work in your heart and in your life. Give your counselor time to work. There are many times. I'll, okay, I'll tell you. Wednesday night I preached that message, right? I was ready to preach it Sunday night. But I didn't feel peace. Wednesday afternoon I went on a jog. I've been, been trying to jog now instead of walking because you've got to keep increasing things. I hate jogging. Anybody in here like running? You are weird, weird, weird weird. I wake up feeling like I'm an 80-year-old man. My joints hurt, and I don't, I don't know how you older folks in the room get around. I just don't know how you do it. No, I'm just teasing, but it, I'm sore in the morning from it. I don't know how. There's no way. Jogging and running, that's... I've been trying to get better. You know, it did. It, when I first started, I only go a quarter mile. I can go almost a mile and a half now without stopping, so that's it's progress. It's progress, but it's awful, but where was I going with that? And so Wednesday afternoon, God finally let me know it's time to preach it. Don't rush to conclusions. Give God time to work. 
And God works through his word. God works through people at times as well. But don't rush things. Sometimes we flip of the switch, no. What did David say? I'll bless the Lord who hath given me counsel. But God's counsel doesn't come the very first minute something happens. And maybe sometimes it does. And if it does, praise God, but take time. But is Jesus your wonderful counselor? Are you following him and what he says? Number one, we see that he speaks to us as our wonderful counselor. Number two, he stands for us as the mighty God. The Bible says here, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God. Mighty means strong one, or the powerful, valiant warrior. In Isaiah 9, this adjective literally means our hero, the one who comes to our place. Jesus is the hero of the Scripture story. David asked the question, Psalm 24, verse number 8, who is the king, this king of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. He is profound in his counsel, and he has the power to accomplish what he wills. The facet of the fact and what we think about it this morning is that Jesus is not only the Son of God, but he's also God the Son. The baby born in a feeding trough in Bethlehem is also the king of glory. Or as someone else said like this, the humble carpenter of Nazareth is also the mighty architect of the universe. Jesus can manage anything because he's mighty. Hey, he healed the lame. He caused sight to come to those that were blind. He healed the sick. He calmed the storm. He brought Lazarus back from the grave. Therefore, he can accomplish and do anything in your life as well today. He can give you victory over what areas you're struggling in today and let him fight your battles as you honor him as your holy hero. Worship him as the warrior and praise him for his power. Remember the words that were spoken by the angel to Mary. Luke 1, for with God. Nothing shall be impossible. I like this. As the wonderful counselor, he makes the plan. As the mighty God, he makes the plan work. Are you trusting in your own strength, or are you ready to make him your mighty God? His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God. Next, the Everlasting Father. He sits near us as everlasting father. Far too many people see the Lord as so distant. People don't have a problem seeing the Lord as uh, powerful, but people have a hard time seeing him as personal. But he came to us. Say, well, Jesus is our everlasting Father. Isn't that what it says? I said, but isn't God the Father? Well, God the Son and God the Holy Spirit, they're all three separate, but they're all three one. So he is our everlasting Father. So how does that all make sense? You can try to wrap your head around the Trinity. You're never going to fully understand it. You will never we have some great examples in life. You could take an egg. There's three parts to it. You could take an apple. There's three parts to it. You could take water, solid form, liquid form, and gas form. It's amazing how there's threes of lots of things. Do you ever think God did that on purpose? I think he did. And man, we have a body, soul, and spirit, right? There's so many of those things. The Trinity, you're never going to fully understand it. But you're not supposed to. You just believe what the Bible says. I was very privileged as a kid to have a great dad. And as an adult, I still have a great dad. He's still with us. He just turned 79 a few weeks ago. He takes great care of my mom. I was very privileged. A lot of people are not as privileged as I was. And uh, there's my iPad making noise. Why is the iPad making noise? I, my son was playing games on it the other day. So 
turn that down. If your phone's going to go off, you should silence it now so it doesn't. Let that be your reminder this morning. And so when does my stuff ever go off? Just today would be the day. But I'm thankful for the dad that I had and that I have. I should say have. That's the better word. Brought so much security as a boy to our home. But a lot of times people view their heavenly father, they get their ideas of their heavenly father from the type of father that they had. That's why some people have some trusting issues with God, and a lot of times it comes down to how is their relationship with their father. Go to the local prisons, and most of them had, didn't have a relationship with their dad. Fathers play an important role. But the fathers who play the important role are not the ones who are far away. They're the ones who are actively involved in their kids' lives. Statistically, it says that the average dad spends two minutes a day interacting with their children. Dads today are very hands-off. Fathers need to be very near and very involved in their kids' lives. That's how God is with us. The Bible tells us in Isaiah 57, verse 15, For thus saith the high and lofty one that inhabiteth eternity, whose name is holy, I dwell in the high and holy places, with him also that is of a contrite and humble spirit, to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. Isn't that what Christmas is all about, that he came to us? The story is told about a young man named Bill. He was a college student. He had pretty long hair, holy T-shirt, old jeans, and he wore shoes without socks. I don't understand that. I see more and more people today do that. I think you should wear socks with your shoes. But anyways, that's just my per- the personal pet peeve there. And uh, in fact, I think there's even, it's even healthier to be wearing socks than just to wear shoes without socks. That's just a whole other story, and you can take that or not if you want. But this young man, Bill, got saved. He got saved, and he was trying to find a church to go to. And next to his college campus, there was a church that they wanted to develop a ministry for young people, but they were a more mature church, and so it was there across the street. And one day, Bill walked into church. He walked in late. Some of you know what that's like, right? Right, Felix? And uh, sometimes you walk in, and you just don't know where you're going to sit, right? And you're just hoping there's a seat somewhere. You know, do you come in the side door? Do you come in this door? Because who knows where there's going to be a spot. Like this service, there's a whole row. We worked out fine. This young man came into church a little late. There's no place to sit. So what does the young man do? In his holy jeans, in his holy T-shirt, long hair, he sits on the floor right in the front. The whole church kind of just looked at the kid. We're kind of shocked, like, what are you doing? No one just does that. But in a college class, in a college dorm, that's what you would do. Finally, one of the old deacons in the back got up and started walking towards the front. The crowd was thinking to themselves, I'm glad somebody's going to tell that kid he can't just sit there. took the old man some time to get to the front to reach the young man. The church floor, the church was quiet, but with his cane and things, that's all you heard as he was walking up. When the 80-year-old deacon finally reached the college kid, he dropped his cane, and with great difficulty, he lowered himself to the floor and said, may I sit with you? That's what Jesus did for us. God saw us in our sin and in our darkness and said, I'm going to come be with you. That's our everlasting Father. He's near. He knew our need, and he fulfilled the need. The high and lofty one, the one who cannot even look upon sin came down to us. That's what Christmas is all about. He's our everlasting Father. Some of you today, your earthly fathers aren't here anymore. Maybe they were really good, whatever the case may be, but uh, the Lord is still your Father. and He doesn't leave you alone. Never alone. If you're a mother with young children or older children, listen to how tender the Savior is towards you. Isaiah 40, verse number 11. 
He shall feed his flock like a shepherd. He shall gather the lambs with his arms and carry them in his bosom and shall gently lead those that are with young. That's our everlasting Father. Have you put your faith in the everlasting Father? Will you allow him to sit next to you? His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father. And number four this morning, he satisfies within as the Prince of Peace. About a year ago, Breaking Point Commentary, in a recent Breaking Point Commentary, John Stone said these words, and between the year 1959 and 2016, life expectancy in the U.S. grew from 69.9 to 78.9 years of age, from 59 to 2016. But did you know since 2016, the past three years, and this year is probably going to be the same thing, I'll talk more about that in a minute, do you know since then it's reversed course? A new study paints a portrait of a society in deep trouble. For the third year in a row, the average life expectancy in the United States has declined, and that was before COVID. A recent Washington Post article written last December, around that same time, described the causes behind the dramatic shift. It's suicide, drug overdose, and liver disease. These causes are summed up in the phrases, deaths from despair. In other words, we're facing an epidemic of young people who are giving up on life sometimes before it really even begins for them. The same hopelessness leads to an uptick in deaths from despair is also driving what they call acts of desperation that we see in our culture today. And this is secular people saying this stuff. Acts of mass violence, abuse, and the increasing number of young people willing to self-manipulate in a pursuit of their identities. It's all around us. You saw just this last week, an 11-year-old boy in our state committed suicide while doing his schooling at home. Do you know that around between the holidays of Thanksgiving and Christmas, it's probably the highest time of suicide in the nation? And what are we telling people to do today? Stay isolated, stay home, do nothing. I hope I'm wrong, but I bet in the next few weeks, suicides are going to be increasing and increasing. I hope I'm wrong. But our answer to the solution is hurting people. With all of that said, Jesus comes into our despair with the promise of peace. That phrase shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace, could be translated like this, the Prince whose coming brings peace. That's Jesus. He came to bring peace. Isn't that what the Bible says? Was there peace in the world when he came? No, the Roman rule was in place. But we think about Luke 2.14, the angels, glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. In the Old Testament, the word shalom was a state of wholeness and harmony that was intended to resonate in all of people's relationships. When used as a greeting, shalom was a wish for outward freedom from disturbance as well as an inward sense of well-being. God's people in the Old Testament were constantly harassed as they were in the wilderness by their enemies. And peace was a premier blessing. And look what God told Moses and told the people in Numbers chapter 26, verse 24 through 26. The Lord bless thee and keep thee. The Lord make his face shine upon thee and be gracious unto thee. The Lord lift up his countenance upon thee and giveth thee peace. Some Christians are searching for peace today. And you already have the Prince of Peace. Now, I'm not a doctor, 
and nor would I ever claim to be. There are a lot of people on anxiety medicines in our world today. And you do whatever your doctor says and you figure that out for yourself. There are times in my life where my anxieties are high. And they get, they get pretty bad at times. But I've already got the answer to, this, to the problem. He lives in me. He's the Prince of Peace. So what's the problem? The problem is we get so focused on everything else. Isaiah 26.3 gives us what we need. Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on the news, whose mind is stayed on Facebook, whose mind is stayed on Twitter, whose mind is stayed on politics, whose mind is stayed on the governor of California, whose mind is stayed on these. Why do Christians not have peace? Because we get our focus off the Prince of Peace. Say, Pastor, I haven't felt peace in a while. Let me ask you this question. How much do you think about him during the day? I'm not saying that there aren't times where people need medicine, they need help in those areas. That's not my place. I'm not a doctor. And don't, I had someone come up to me after I said something like this one time. They're like, Pastor, I'm going to stop my medicine today. Don't, don't, don't be dumb, okay? Don't. I'm not a doctor. And a lot of those things you can't just stop anyways. You're going to do more harm than good by doing that. You have a doctor. You talk to your doctor. I'm just telling you, you could help yourself out a lot if you would get to the Prince of Peace. Our minds got to be on him. But what does it say? Because why? He trusteth in me. What do you really trust in today? Is your trust in Washington? Is your trust in, in the governor of California? Well, he goes and eats at fancy restaurants without a mask on and says it's outdoors, but it was actually indoors? Or it shouldn't be. I don't trust in government. I don't trust in people. I got to trust him. That's why as everything goes chaotic in our world and people are all over the place right now, a Christian doesn't need to be because our minds need to be focused on him. Because guess what? Though the world changes everywhere, shutdowns, whatever else the case may be all around us, you look to him, he's still the same. Marsh didn't create a new normal for God. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's the Lord, he does not change. He brings peace, how we need that peace the New Testament, when it talks about Jesus, describes three different types of peace or three spheres of peace. The first one is peace with God. That's vertical. That's where, because of what Jesus did on the cross, we can have peace with God. There's also the peace of God. That takes place inside of us. You know how the Bible tells us in Philippians 4, verse 6 and 7, be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. The next verse says the peace and the peace of God. Which passes all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. So we get peace with God and our salvation. He brings us peace eternally. And then there's the peace of with others. We get along with others. It all goes hand in hand together. Jesus has come to bring peace. What did it say in Ephesians 2, verse number 14? For he is our peace. Are you out of sorts this morning? You need the Prince of Peace. You know what this world needs today? They need the Prince of Peace. This world just doesn't get it. They don't. I get they try and are trying to keep things shut down and different things because they don't want things to spike during holidays and things. They don't want people being together. I get what they're saying they're trying to do. But do they, they don't realize that if people could get to Jesus Christ, we could make it through all our problems. Do you know what, the, what we need in our state more than anything right now? We need churches and God. That's what we need. 
the governor should be paying churches to be open right now. In all honesty, if he knew what was good. But they don't get it, and I don't expect them to get it. But the hard thing is, we got a lot of people that need God right now, and they're being scared into staying away from God. We got to get God to them. He's our peace. How can we function in a world of chaos? Because he's our peace. Why can you go to church when cases are rising everywhere? Because he's in control and he's our peace. I'm at peace in church. Anybody, anybody, anybody worried here today? Are you worried as you sit in church this morning? Are you anxious? Now, a lot of my anxiety and fears go away when I'm in church. It's amazing how that all works. I think God knew what he was doing when he designed the church. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. I'm just about done. In your notes there, there are several verses for you to look at later on on your own time. Because I want you to look at the very next verse of Isaiah chapter 9, verse number 7. It says, Of the increase of his government and peace there shall be no end. Upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth, even forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Hey, the first time he came, he didn't come to rule and to reign. He came to die as a lamb. But the next time he comes, he's not coming to die. He's coming to rule, to reign, and to conquer. You aren't going to be able to vote Jesus in. And you're not going to vote him out. He's going to be king. What a day that's going to be. I love how in the Hallelujah Chorus part of it says, The kingdom of this world is become the kingdom of our Lord, and he shall reign forever, forever, and ever, forever, and ever. That's our God. I'm not going to park long here because we're at the end of the message this morning, but there's so much in this verse about the future kingdom and things. But God made a promise to David in 2 Samuel chapter number 7. I just want to share with you real quick. Now, let me give you the background leading up to this right here. David looked around and he said, my house, I have a nice house. I've got all these things and there's no house for my God. David had a burden to build God a house. And God told him, hey, David, you can't. You're a man of war. I'm not going to allow you to do it. But look at what God tells him. And when thy days be fulfilled and thou shalt sleep with thy fathers, I will set up thy seed after thee, which shall proceed out of thy bowels, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. David dies, Solomon builds the temple, does well for a while, sins, kings and chronicles, you see all these different kings doing their own thing, some good, some bad, but all along you see God preserving the throne of David. They get carried into Babylon, and when they come back, God raises up, we mentioned Zerubbabel before, he was of David's line, and the kingdom continues on. In the New Testament, Luke 1, Luke 1, 27, it talks about Mary. It says, to a virgin, a spouse, to a man whose name was Joseph, and look of the house he was of, or the house of David. The Bible tells us in Luke 1, 33, 31 through 33, and behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb and bring forth a son, shall call his name Jesus. He shall be great, and he shall be called the son of the highest, and the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father, David. Wow, God keeps his promises. And someday, Jesus is going to rule on that throne. And the Bible tells us that the zeal of the Lord of hosts is going to perform this. The Lord of hosts means the Lord of the armies. He's in control of everything. Think about this with me. He's in control of the armies of this earth. He's in control of the armies of the sky and of the armies of angels. Say, so what do you mean? Think back with me. 
God used, he mobilized the Roman government to call for a census to bring Jesus to be born in Bethlehem. He caused a star in heaven to burn bright enough to get the attention of folks so that they could get to where he was. And then he unleashed an army of angels to announce to the shepherds the good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. That's our God. We see in Isaiah 9, verse number 6, for unto us, the word us, that's a, um, that's a personal pronoun right there. For unto us, a child is born. Unto us, a son is given. The gift of Christ is a personal gift from God to us. Just as if I came to your house and I brought you a gift for Christmas, you would have to respond to it, right? You'd have to take it. Literally what you'd have to do. God gave us the greatest gift in all the world in his son. For unto us a child is born, and unto us a son is given. You can be confident that when you take Christ, you'll get exactly what he promised and who he is. A wonderful counselor, the mighty God, an everlasting father, and the prince of peace. And uh, Mary, the first time she held him, I don't think she could even begin to comprehend who he truly was. What a child. What a God. So thankful for that gift. Nevertheless, God brought light from darkness. And that light was the gift of his son, Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you for the time this morning. We thank you for loving us, and we thank you for being our God. You are 